Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. The Spirit might be bringing conviction and remembrance, but you can shove the Lord out. But I want you to catch that picture, right? Are, are we pushing God out in any areas of our life? Is there any areas of our life where we're saying, God, no, not right now. Not right now. I'm, pushing, I'm setting you aside in this area. May there not be, right? May we, we want to bring the Lord into everything into our personal lives, into our families, into our homes, into our marriages, into our jobs, into our work. God, come in and invade my life. But you don't want to be pushing him out. We need him in every area of our life. As Christians, when life is going well, it's easy to rest on our laurels and completely forget about God. We get hyper-focused on what we're doing for ourselves and push God away. In today's message, Pastor Bill wants you to know that you need to put God in the center of everything. No matter how secure or self-assured you feel in what you're doing, you'll never get to where you want to be without God. Listen to His calling for your life and let His light shine in every part of your life. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 7 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. Judges chapter 3, briefly, just a recap on chapter 1 and 2. Chapters 1 and 2 tell us why we're getting ready to go through all the different problems that Israel is going to have. Israel at an earlier date was told by God, you guys, when you, when I bring you into the land, I want you to put out the enemies. And so I want you to write down in your notes, the the actual warning God gave them. It's in Deuteronomy seven verses two through four. This is the warning that they didn't obey that brought them up to the part, to place where we're at in judges today. So Deuteronomy chapter seven, uh, verses two through four says, And when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them, nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son. And this is why, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. So what did Israel do? That was the warning. God said, look, when you go into these lands, don't preserve the people. Don't make covenants with them. Don't let your kids marry with their kids. Kill them, destroy them, wipe them out and keep it moving. That was the command of God. What did they do? Israel went into the land and they said, hey, you guys could be our servants. You'll be our slaves. We'll keep you guys. Um, And exactly what God said happened, happened. As the generation would go by, um, Israel would be tempted into worshiping their gods and it would make God angry. Now with that, look at verse one of chapter three. It says, now these now now these are the nations which the Lord left that he might test Israel by them. That is all who had not known any of the wars in Canaan. This was only so that the generation of the children of Israel might be taught to know war, at least those who had not formerly known it. And so their nation He's getting ready to list the enemy nations that have been left behind. And God says, now I left them behind to test you guys. Uh, they're going to they're gonna be left behind to test you. They shouldn't have been left behind. If y'all would have went in and wiped them out, they'd be gone. So when you read this, it seems like God's like, I left them on purpose. But it's not. This is not the, there is always the, the actual will of God. And then there is something that's, it's, it's the permissible. God's like, if we don't obey the Lord and allow him to fulfill what he really wants to do, then God says, I'll, I'll make do. I'm sovereign. I'll make do with your mistakes. I'll turn your mistakes into lessons. I'll use those things to continue to do what I want to do in your life. And so 
God said, you guys are supposed to wipe them out and enjoy the land. You didn't do it. So now I'm going to use these nations that are left behind to test you. Rather or not, your hearts are really with me. Rather or not, you're really going to follow, follow me. And so I would liken this to this. You know, some of us here have different areas of weakness and temptation. And so, again, it's a great testament when somebody is so far along in their victory that they could be in an environment where those things are happening and just I'm, I'm the Lord has strengthened me to where this is not impacting me like it used to. So it's a test, but it ain't a test that you want to be taking when you ain't have victory yet. These people are not in a place of victory. They're in a place of defeat, compromise, and it's going to start coming home to roost in, these, in this chapter. So now it says he's going to this is, this is the list of names. So verse three, namely, the five lords of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, the Sidonians and the Hivites who dwelt in Mount Lebanon from Mount Baal Hermon to the entrance of Hamath. And they were left that he might test Israel by them to know rather they would obey the commandment of the Lord, which he had commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. Now, when God says he's testing them to know who's finding out, God's not finding out. Right. He already knows they're finding out when God tests you. When God tests me, God's not testing us saying, let me see how Bill does. You know, he knows exactly how I'm going to do. God tests me that I might know where I stand. Um, and so whenever you have passed a test, maybe God tests you in an area where you used to be weaker and you do well. I mean, anybody ever been shocked that you did well, did better than you thought you was going to do with something? You know, that's a good feeling. Like, man, I'm, I'm not what I used to be. And anybody ever blown it? Maybe you, you weren't as good as you thought you were. I've, I've done both. You know, so I've blown it and. Said, man, I thought I was beyond that. We, I talked about that last week, so I'm not going to rehearse it again. But I've experienced both. God never learned. God's never learning when he tests me. I'm learning. I, I'm, I'm being made aware of where I actually stand and how I'm really doing in my relationship with the Lord. And so God is going to use them again to test Israel. Now look at verse five. Thus the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites the Hittites, the Amorites, the Parasites, the, per the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And they took their daughters to be their wives, and they gave their daughters to their sons, and they served their gods. That's exactly what God warned them not to do in Deuteronomy 7, 2, 3, and 4. And so now exactly what God says would happen, happened. They gave their sons and daughters into marriage, and now they're, they're married with non-believers. You know, your son married some pagan girl. She's like, well, we worship asterisks. So I went to your church on Sunday. Now you come to my place now. And at, at, the, at the worship of asterisks, there's sex, there's alcohol, you know, and, and, and the Israelites are going like, I, I like this. This is, this is ministering to my flesh. I want to worship over here. And they would get drawn away and they would end up worshiping there. Um, exactly what God didn't want to happen. So real quick, a word on intermarriage. When the Bible, when I speak of intermarriage, again, I'm not speaking of racial intermarriage. Um, the Bible does this. There's no there's nothing. There's no prohibition against marrying someone of a different culture for us in our day. Uh, but God, there's prohibition against marrying unbelievers. Um, God would have believers marry believers only. So I've told my kids, I don't care. You can marry a green person. They just need to be saved. You don't bring me. Don't don't come home. But BJ don't bring no woman home, and, and Harmony don't bring no man home that don't know Jesus. That I can't sign off on. I don't care what color they are. I don't care what they look like. I just, I need to know that y'all y'all look y'all gonna love Jesus together because they gonna give me grandkids. I want my grandkids to know the Lord. That's it. All pans down that way. It's like I I our, me and Mika knowing the Lord is passing down to my kids that they might know the Lord and then. 
they marry with believers. Hopefully they're going to raise their kids in the Lord. That's what God wants. And we would be generation after generation of people that love him, know him. And we pass that down. So mom and dad, parents, we need to first, you know, be that example. So for you guys that are single, you know, unmarried, most of us are already married. So if you're married, like I always say, who you're with is God's will for you. You know, you make that work best you can. That's the, the, if you're already married, that is, the, that is the will of God for you, that person that you got, that you're married with now. If you're single, you want to make sure that you're right with the Lord and you don't want to even investigate or be open to a discussion about somebody that don't know Jesus yet. If you're a woman, you shouldn't even be open to having a discussion with a man that can't lead you spiritually. He's not ready yet. He's not ready to take you out on a date a day yet. He's not ready. You know, if, if he, that's the condition that he's in, he's not ready yet. That he need to cook some more. Leave him at church. You leave them alone. But, you know, we need to make those kind of convictions. Same thing with men. Men will look with their eyes and pick somebody because they they got the right curvature or they look a certain way. That's going to be the mother of your kids. That's going to be the she's going to have the primary spiritual influence over your kids. Does she know Jesus? Because all them curves ain't going to help with that. Um, those that, that, that becomes irrelevant at a later date. You know, so, you know, men got to look at men. Does she love the Lord? That's all that's going to matter later on. It's all that's going to matter. So that that's no, I won't digress anymore. But. I mean, single people, man, don't mess up. You know, make a make a wise decision. Let the Lord lead you into what you do. Amen. Single people. Amen. Okay, so Amen. they messed up right here. The 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 whole mess up was based out of them. They married non-believers. They first they didn't kill them like they were supposed to. Now because they left them behind and their kids grew up. Now there's generations of all these other kids that grew up with your kids that don't know God and your kids like mom, but I like her. You know, for you guys who did the Bible reading, Samson came home and said, I want that woman over there. And what did his parents say? His mom said, why you pick her? I mean, of all these Israelite girls, you can't find one over here. Pick one of them. And you, you went over and picked the Philistine? No. And he's like, I must, I got to have her. You know, he demands I got to have her. And that was his downfall. You know, women, pagan women in particular. So, you know, so we want to be cautious of that. Uh, even as we raise our kids, make sure you're teaching that to your kids. Make sure you're sharing that with them. Your kids going to hit high school, hit their teens and, you know, people going to like them and they're going to like people. Make sure you make sure you minister that. Don't I, I'm trying to condition my kids. Don't even like them if they ain't saved. Don't even don't, I want you to don't even you know, they're, be, they're cute non-believers. Satan got some good looking kids. He does. There's some great looking children of Satan out there in the world. That's the that's how I say it in my house. I'm like that is a that's a great looking child of the devil. You know, like that's not an option for husbandry or wife that's what they are right um so i don't want them to get it twisted that is a that is a hunk of a child of satan let them go you know let, let them keep it moving let them keep it moving so satan got some good looking kids but god got some too and you need to just wait on the lord for that which he has so moving on verse seven so the children of israel did evil in the sight and this is where the that sin cycle begins right here for the first time and so the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and Asterisks. Now, the word forgot here, it isn't like they forgot, like, oh, I forgot to call you. I forgot to, you know, be there on time. The word forgot here literally means to push aside. I didn't forget to read the word. I just pushed it aside and said, not right now. I'm busy. I'm doing something else. I got to check my Facebook or whatever. We don't, we don't forget the Lord, but the Lord can be pushed aside. And when it says here... They, they forgot the Lord. That's what it means. They didn't forget him in their minds, but they pushed him aside. But the thing, this is an interesting thing. When you push the Lord aside for a while, guess what happens in your mind? Forget him. Then you do forget him. You push him aside long enough, push him out of your sight. 
for you know it'll be out of your mind. The spirit might be bringing conviction and remembrance, but, but you can shove the Lord out. But I want you to catch that picture, right? Are, are we pushing God out in any areas of our life? Is there any areas of our life where we're saying, God, no, no, not right now. Not right now. I'm, pushing, I'm setting you aside in this area. May there not be, right? May we, we want to bring the Lord into everything, into our personal lives, into our families, into our homes, into our marriages, into our jobs, into our work. God, come in and invade my life. But you don't want to be pushing them out. We need him in every area of our life. But that's what it means here. They forgot the Lord. They pushed the Lord out. And it says, and then they served the Baals and the Asterisks. And again, another reason I think they pushed him out um, is so that we're getting ready to do what we're not supposed to do. I don't want him to be here. You know, I, I got to push the Lord aside so I can go ahead and do what I really want to do. Uh, anybody here that's ever, you know, as a kid, maybe, because I know y'all don't do it as adults. But as a kid, if you ever snuck and did something you want to do, you made sure, you know, I, me and my sister would make sure my mom was knocked out. You know, my mom, I knew when she was asleep and we would go by her door and listen. And it was like, okay, now we can. You know, there were certain there were things that we couldn't watch. So we would go to her door and listen. It's like, all right, all right, now we can go in there. And we'd go in the living room and do whatever we were going to do. But you check first. Um, we push that aside so I can go do what I really want to do. Make sure that you're not doing that to the Lord in any area of your life. Verse 8. Here's the result. Just like God warned them. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel and he sold them into the hand of Cushan Rishathim, king of Mesopotamia. I've been practicing that name all day. Cushan Rishathim. Now I can't say it. So, um, but God delivered him into his hand. God sold him into his hand and the children of Israel served Cushan Rishathim for eight years. Now, his name is interesting. Uh, if you look his name up in the original, his name means double evil. And I'm, I'm so I have a few things. I read down that what mother, what was wrong with his mother that she would name her? So look at him, double evil. You know, like like single evil wasn't good enough, but she named him double evil. So I don't I don't know what I mean. I don't. They're pagan, but I don't know how you name your kid, your kid double evil. But that was his name, double evil. And God delivered them into his hand. God sold them into his hand. And when it says sold them, God basically let him, you know, God let the enemy overtake them. And so this is a king, the king of Mesopotamia that overtook the children of Israel and God allowed it. Why did God allow it? As punishment to them for worshiping other gods. Here's the thing. When people step outside the will of God and they won't let God be king, God sometimes will say, you know what, I've been, I've been convicting you and pressing you and speaking to you and through Bible studies you've been hearing at church I've been speaking over and over again but you won't hear me so I'm going to step back I'm going to let that thing be king over your life for a while I'm going I'm to let that thing I mean, you can, go ahead and have that thing whatever it is you have it and I've, I've, as I, as over the years of passion I've seen this I've seen people who wouldn't obey God wouldn't let that relationship go and God says go ahead have it have it I'm going to let you have that until you're sick of it until you crying out for help and, and we'll wait until we'll wait until you're getting tired of it I've seen it with substance abuse where someone's hearing you, they're getting challenged, they're talking to them, but they're just going to have it. God's like, go ahead, go ahead, I'm going to let you have it. I'm going to let you have it until you're sick of it then, until it's destroying your life, until it's wrecking you. And so there's a point at which the Holy Spirit convicts us. God will speak supernaturally to the word. God will challenge us, convict us. You'll be getting words upside the head. You'll be getting things, you know, you'll know it from God trying to pause you and stop you. But there's a point when you press on, God says, okay, you know what? Then I'm going to let you, 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 don't, you don't learn by hearing very well. So I'm going to let you learn by spanking. I'm going to let that thing that you want so bad, I'm going to let you have it until it hurts. That's what God does here. You guys won't have me. 
You guys won't let me be king. You guys want another king, so I'm going to let you have another king. Double evil is going to be your king. And so God puts them, he gives them over to Cushan Rishathim, and he reigned over them for eight years. Look at verse nine. It says, when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer. And I'm going to pause for a minute. It took them eight years to cry out to the Lord. I was considering that. I wonder why it took eight years, you know? My mind wonders why the day he came, they didn't say, okay, 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 God, I'm sorry, I messed up, you know? How come a week in, they didn't cry? How come one year in, how come eight years? Eight years. Maybe they had pushed him out so far that they really did forget. And it took eight years before they said, you know what? And how long was the prodigal son out there? And how bad did it get? How long was he in the pig pen before he came to himself? Tim, I got a father at home that loves me and he's got more than enough to take care. I'm in a pig's pen getting ready to eat this and came to himself and said, it took them eight years to finally say, cry out. Now, when I when you read that phrase, cry out, there's a fervency about how they, they, now I'm crying out to the Lord. It's possible that along the way, there may have been little, little, like little prayers. Lord, please help us. Don't you get us out of this? But they, they eventually came to a place where they cried out. There was passion, there was fervor. I've been meditating on this for the past few days. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a list of things I'm praying about. And a couple of them, specifically one of them, a ministry we want to begin and start. And I, as I read this, the Lord impressed upon my heart. And uh, if you're writing notes, write down James 5.16. James 5.16, the Lord says, it's the effective or the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man availeth much. There is, and I'm not, and I'm gonna, I want you to understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying screaming at God prayers. You can scream at God. That ain't fervent prayer. But there is a prayer that we can pray that's just kind of like mundane. Lord, thank you for this food. I pray blessed. Just have, just have your way. And, uh, you know, whatever. But there's a prayer that we can pray that's it's out of brokenness. It's out of deep desire. God, help. God, please intervene. God, please. And we all know the difference. I believe there are things, there are areas, there are things that God would say, I'm waiting for you to cry out. I'm waiting for you to be fervent in prayer about these things. And there's a couple of things that I'm, I've been praying about them. I, and, and I would say lightly, as I was kind of going over this and preparing, the Lord was like, you need to, because of the nature of what it is that you want to see me do, you need to be fervent in prayer. About it. You can't, you're not, you, you need to be fervent in prayer. That needs to be attacked in prayer and it needs to be fervent. You need me. You can't do that without me. That's not going to happen naturally that's got to happen supernaturally so you need to be on your face you need to get a group of people that are that are that are genuinely praying about that on a regular basis in a fervent way i will hear and i will help but you got to come to me that way the effective fervent prayer of the righteous man avails much and i just want to point it out we're going to see over and over again that when they finally cry out no matter what they've done no matter how long it's been when they cry out god answers every single time that is an amazing thing about the god of the bible separates him from every other God. God, God punishes. He's a father. He, but he, when they cry out, God says, all right, that's all I was, I was waiting for you to get. I was waiting for it to get real. I was waiting for it to get real enough for you to cry out. I'm here. I still love you. Yes, you've forsaken me. Yes, you've disobeyed me. Yes, you've cheated on me. Yes, you've gone after other gods. Yes, you've defiled you. But, but now that you're crying out, I'm listening. That, that's only the God of the Bible, you guys. That, that he is so merciful and so gracious Nobody else does that. Nobody else offers us that that level of I'm, I'm going to be there for you no matter what. We don't have people in our life that are that faithful. God says, when you cry out, I'm listening. 
And, and maybe some of us here have things that God is saying, you need to cry out about that. I'll listen. You cry out, I'm listening. I'm all ears. I'm all ears for my, ba- my kids. Uh, I love my kids. You might, you know, when you hear those babies cry back there, every mother in here, their mothers in here, they, 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 they go like this. They know which one is theirs. They know their baby. There you go. That's mine. They, they go, they go on, they go on. You don't got to call them. They know that, that. Now that pitch right there, that's mine. I know it. You know, how do we know that? Because we're in tune. We love them. They're our babies. And when they cry, you can't help yourself. You guys, your baby cry, you go. Right? If you hear your baby cry right now, you mommies, what you going? You're going to be gone. No matter what I'm saying. Ain't gonna, what I'm saying is not that good. My baby's crying. I got to go see about it. You know, that's God did that. Right? We're made in his image. And so I just want you to, because when there's a cry, you know, this is not a, you know, some of, some of y'all kids cry for nothing. But in general, a cry is... A cry is a little more emphatic than a, you know, a murmur. You know, if you heard him talking, you wouldn't be as moved. But a cry is like, is he hurt? Something breaking? Something happened to him? I got to go. I got to go find that out first so I can relax. You know, God is we're made in his image. So when you think about that, right, when you cry out, God's like, I'm, I'm listening. And, and I'm, I'm able to determine God's able to determine and detect by, by our prayer that this is heavy on their heart. This is a great concern. They're moved by this. And I care. And so. Um, I'm just encouraging us that in the areas where we need to be fervent, we would be fervent. You know, um, we, we need we have a lot of things we need to pray about, but there are things that God would say, I want you to be fervent in prayer about that. We've been planning and praying about starting a ministry here to, to reach out to and minister to those that are struggling with addictions. And that's one as I've been praying. The Lord was like, you, you need to attack this in prayer. You know, this is it's these people. They're in bondage. Satan has them. They need to be delivered. They need to be. You're not, that's not going to be natural. We ain't AA. Um, this God, I, I believe that God is able to really set some people free. I believe those are the people that Jesus, when you were here walking around, he'd go after them. He would find them and he would love them and he would minister to them. And what a testimony to his goodness that people that were in bondage like that could be completely free, completely delivered. I think of the man that was in the tombs. He was demon possessed. He was cutting himself. And, and when the Lord met him, it says that he was, then he was clothes on, sitting at the feet of Jesus in his right mind. And I envision, I envision people sitting here that, you know, with clothes on and, you know, all their clothes on and in their right mind, just sitting under the word and growing as the Lord just apprehends their hearts. But that's not natural. That's supernatural. God's got to invade hearts. God's got to bind the enemy. God's got to move. And so, you know, maybe their loved ones that, you know, you know, they need God's intervention. God's like, well, quit praying basic prayers. Cry out. Cry out to me about them. Make it an issue of your heart. Be fervent about it. They cried out, the Lord heard. Again, verse 9, when the children of Israel cried out, the Lord um, raised up a deliverer. Each of these judges, the word judge literally means deliverer. And he raises up a deliverer uh, for the children of Israel who delivered them. Othniel, this is the first judge. In this chapter, we're going to be introduced to three judges. Othniel is the first one, the son of Kenez, Caleb's younger brother. And so, you know, Othniel comes from a family of Faithful, a family of giant killers, a family of of men of God. And so at, at this point, Othniel is going to be the guy that God raises up. Uh, a couple quick things. We can't find this in scripture, but it's it's in um, Josephus was one of the secular historians of the day that we take information from about the time frame and who was alive and what they were doing. And so a lot of the Bible characters, we can look at the secular historian Josephus and find that it lines up with the Bible. You know, he doesn't validate the Bible, but there are things that run concurrent between Josephus and what we read in scripture. And so he says that Othniel was about 91 years old when this took place. That's an old guy. 
like we've said before with some of the other old guys that God was using, right? At 91, if that be the case, um, this guy was still being called upon. God's like, I'm not done. I still got assignment for you. Much of life is cyclical. There are seasons that cycle through and then start over again. You see the pattern or cycle of the Israelites in the book of Judges. They rebel from God and sin, bringing judgment on themselves. But then God sends them a deliverer, and they turn back to following God. But eventually, they turn away and start the same cycle over again. Do you think God got tired of that cycle and wanted to throw in the towel with these people? If anything, the book highlights God's mercy when the Israelite people were undeserving of rescue. But this is the God we serve, one who's looking to redeem and rescue. He also wants you to genuinely turn back to Him, not questioning His goodness or faithfulness, God's long-suffering. And He proves this time and time again in the book of Judges. Have you been enjoying this series in Judges? Pastor Bill has been working his way through this book here on The Transforming Word. If you'd like to hear additional messages from Judges, head over to calvaryinglewood.org. Look under the teaching tab for more messages. While you're on our website, you can download our mobile app to take teachings with you on the go. Something else you might find at our website are links to Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Stay connected with us through those various platforms and come back again to hear more from Pastor Bill. There are many things to learn from the book of Judges, and we're just getting started. So make sure that you don't miss a single edition of A Transforming Word. Transforming Word.